Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest, for a fourth time, we have Victoria Thompson, who is going to, ooh, we spilling some tea. <laughs> Always. Hey, all right, all right, because yes. the, the purpose and focus of this show is about educators who are looking to make that leap into tech, because as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, I'm assuming that means that you are on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And so you're very well connected to these companies having ambassadors and these companies getting us to present at conferences and all of these things that are coming through your feed. And you're just seeing a lot of educators sort of in some form of fashion having these entanglements. And then some are trying to take that leap. And then you have some who are saying, hey, I want to make that leap too, right? I want to do it. And then some folks are thinking, look, if I'm making $70,000 with my teacher's salary, shoot, if I go work with Apple, I could be making 125. So we're going to find out (laughs) what really happens when teachers make that leap and how should they approach that transition if that is something that they want to do. So for those who have not heard you in the past three episodes or are not following (laughs) you at all, will you please introduce yourself, Victoria? Yes. Hello, everyone. My name is Victoria Thompson. And you know, Dr. Will, it's kind of interesting because I think of when I first, you know, connected with you and then being on the pod I believe I started when I was a math and science teacher, right? Like this is Mm -hmm. like was back in 2020 when I was working at the private independent school and I was hired to do a lot, but specifically like build up that math curriculum uh, for the school because the school was built in the 1880s and still very much operated like it was in the 1880s. So that was one of my first big like school curriculum development jobs because we were essentially starting from scratch. And, you know, it was really exciting work, but I was also doing consulting on the side for a multitude of ed tech companies. And then I shifted into the role, I believe this has been the last two podcasts uh, when I was that STEM coach and that digital learning coach. So I did work with schools in Western Washington, essentially driving STEM transformation and integration. You know, you've got teachers that will say, hey, like, you know, I'm a STEM teacher, but they're just making like water cycle models out of plastic bags. And, you know, as as appreciated as that is, we also like to give students the real picture of what STEM looks like at large, because we don't want kids, you know, going to college or going career for STEM. And they think that it's just making the water cycle models out of plastic bags, because that's not what happens. Um, but a recent development, which I know is part of the reason why I'm here today, um, is because I just transitioned into a new role. So I am officially at Microsoft Education. I've been there for two months now, still standing, haven't cried yet. I mean, my role is that of an education industry executive on their K-12 team. So my role is very unique. There's six of us. There's three in higher ed, three in K-12. And as I mentioned, I'm on the K-12 team. And my role is kind of in three different buckets. So the first is I bring credibility to sales conversations. You know, when there's like a CTO, a principal, a teacher, a digital learning coach in a room, and maybe a super, and they all kind of want the same thing, but they're all speaking different languages. Because I come from industry, I'm able to bridge those conversations and figure out what the best solutions are for everybody in the room. So I'm not like selling, selling, right? But I am kind of the person that helps to facilitate those sales relationships and conversations. The best way I describe it is I'm a dedicated resource to our accounts and our companies that wanna work with us because I come from industry. So I understand how challenging it can be to be in a school or district. So that's number one. Number two, um, as I also create new conversations with people that might potentially wanna partner or just wanna find out more about products or services. Um, And then I kind of see what we can do to put that into motion. So I'm actually doing quite a few webinar series with a couple of not only districts, uh, but also companies and organizations because they want to learn more about Microsoft products and tools, not necessarily in like, okay, how do I use Word? 
right? It's more, okay, how do I use immersive reader to elevate learning? Or like, how do I use reading progress to, you know, like instead of doing like those readers in the back of the room with the kidney table, you know, how do I do it to personalize what my kids are doing? So I love all parts of my job, but I definitely find that to be so fulfilling because it's teaching educators and people who want are, you know, really want to use the products, like what that looks like, if that makes sense. And then the last part of my job, which is awesome, is I am a program manager. So we all have uh, dedicated programming across the United States. And my programming is the Microsoft Innovative Educator Experts in our showcase schools. So I was an expert myself. Um, I had been an expert for about three years. So I'm now leading the community that I was a part of, which is pretty cool. And I've got a lot of things that are coming up just to kind of shift it a little bit. I'm leaning on a real heavy focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and also on accessibility. So not just in our practice, you know, with what we do with our cohort calls, but also with the way that we approach conferences, the way that we approach presentations, and then also the content that we put out in our newsletters and our blogs. So that is my very long-winded answer as to who I am and, and what I do. That is fantastic. So... You know, because I'm going to, I'm trying to get my MIE. I, I have my level one Google. Yeah, I've been get, telling you, listen, yeah. I was like, if I, if I had to come down to Mississippi and sit next to you <laughs> while you do it, I will. <laughs> I'm going to get it and I want to get my my Apple teacher as well. Uh, yeah, just yeah. being that I'm an instructional technologist, getting the three sort of sort of top certifications for me to kind of go, okay, what what can I do next? Um, I'm very excited about approaching that. So I love what you're doing, what you told me with the Microsoft. I could see myself <laughs> one day uh, <laughs> doing that. That sounds amazing. That really does yeah, sound amazing. It's, it's awesome. Uh, because it's interesting. There have been times I've had conversations with vendors that are like, okay, when you are doing this with teachers, my advice is to do this. And I'm like, no. Right. Because you don't know the like, like you don't sound like you know the school environment. You definitely don't know our district. So I had to I had to push back sometimes and say, listen, that's not gonna work here. We're gonna have to do it this way in terms of our implementation for this thing to work. You know, and he's you know, I'm not gonna go into that conversation because mm -hmm. I still work <laughs> in the district, but it was one of the things to say, you know, this is how things really go down in the school. And I hear you coming with your expertise, your product, but in terms of how we need to roll it out and implement it on our end, we'll take care of that because we understand how this environment actually works and the temperament of our teachers, the schedules and things like that. So I'm very excited what you're talking about. That is like, yo, dope. And mm -hmm. then again, inshallah, we can see each other at ISTE. So very excited. Yes. I'm so pumped to meet you in person. It's very excited about so that. Fun. Yeah, we're registered, so we're good. Right. We're good. Hey, listen, we're good. so so just like a tip, and for anyone that's listening too, for all of our big conferences, we do throw events for our MIE experts. So since I'm in charge of the community, I am the one that puts on those events. And this year is at ISTE for our MIE experts. It is going to be at the New Orleans School of Cooking. So it's going to be at their offsite location because, you know, there's like the downtown and then there's like the big one that's in the old Jack's building. So we'll be in the Jack's building. There's going to be live food demonstrations. There's going to be interactions with the chefs. It's going to be so much fun. And then, of course, right in the heart of downtown New Orleans. Oh, I am so excited. But I try to make all my events just really celebrations. You know, nobody wants to go to a reception and like do crafts or, you know, like be put to work. So, so I always try to make mine. Let's socialize. Let's be together again, you know, because it's yeah. been two years almost for some of our folks and we're just going to have a ton of fun. All so right. Forward to it. Yeah. Oh, see. Only if you're an expert, though. So you got to get MIE first, Dr. Will. I got to try. I got Yes. I, and then that cohort opens on May 15th, 2022 and then closes on July 7th. So once you get MIE, then you can apply for expert. And right. your cohort, um, I believe your cohort seven because you're located in Mississippi or maybe your cohort 10. Um, I, I don't have my work computer on me and I always confuse those two because they're so close in proximity. Um, but your cohort also includes like Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and you've got some great people in there. So. I'll, 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 you know, when we get off, I'll, I'll go check it yes. out. I'll go check it out. Yes. So yeah, here's the thing. Here's the requirement of this conversation. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> So here's the thing. You told us about your great job and some of the things that you are doing. 
But what is your day-to-day like, right? And the reason I want to know is because I watch these YouTube videos of people who have these tech jobs. And Mm -hmm. some of those folks, one woman who is a product manager for Discord Mm -hmm. was doing the video and she, it was like 2 a.m. and she was still conversing with people on her team. And I was like, what the? That, yeah, that's that's too much. That's too much. I was like, what the Jimmy Crack coin is going on, <laughs> yeah, right? Seriously. Right? Yeah. And then you see these videos of people are like, whether, I don't know if it's true or not, but they're like, I just quit my job at Big Tech. And they were like, I was making $150,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, I'm an educator. Why would you quit a $150,000 job a year at such and such company? So in hearing right. those things, I'm kind of like, okay. Uh, so what is, your day-to-day? Yeah, like, what is your day-to-day like? Right. So I'll preface this by saying that every single position is different because I quit a tech job. This was three years ago. Um, now, granted, because you, you know me, I'm always transparent. I was making $60,000 at that job. It was located up in like Bellevue, Redmond area, you know, Microsoft Arena, I was not working for Microsoft at the time, but I was working for a Microsoft vendor. So the way that it works is you've got your full-time employees, right? And then you've got your vendors and they're under like a V dash, like essentially they don't have all the same permissions as a full-time employee. So I was a vendor at the time making $60,000 a year. I didn't have summer break. I didn't have winter break, right? Like I didn't have fall break. I didn't have the same kinds of permissions when it came to work flexibility. And I was also driving an hour and a half there and an hour and a half back. So if I'm taking a look at my salary, because starting salary for teachers in the county that I live in and in the county that I worked for, it was $58,000 a year. And I was spending two grand a year to commute up and back. So I was like, why am I doing this? I would literally have the same exact permissions and, and pay as an educator, right? Like commute with standing, but I would also have all these breaks. I'd have more flexibility. And I know that my day would end at three 30 or four o'clock. Cause I'm really big on those boundaries. So I say this story because for a lot of people, they look at the cost benefit analysis and they'll say, it might be worth it for me to just jump ship and either go back to teaching or go to another job. And that was how I ended up back in schools after working in tech, because I was making at the time the same amount of money. And a word of caution that I always give, especially educators transitioning is if you're already making like market rate, going to be very challenging unless you work at like a fortune 500 or a fang like how i do to push that six-figure boundary Uh, before i ended up getting this job and also interviewing for this job i was in interviews with a couple of other companies and after i kind of said my salary requirements because at the time i was making just at my day job i want to say it was like seventy-five thousand dollars and I was like, okay, well, I always go 10 to 15 above. So I'm expecting this job to pay anywhere between 85 to 90. And they're like, we're going to stop the interview right now because we need a candidate that's more in our salary requirements, you know? And I mean, I appreciate their honesty because I don't want to waste their time. And I'm, I certainly don't want them to waste mine, but so many folks transitioning out feel like the tech is like the Holy grail. Most times you're going to be making the same, if not sometimes less, unless you're working for a big name company. So that being said, the duties that I would have had at these smaller companies are entirely different from my duties and day to day at Microsoft. So if I were to kind of paint a picture, I'll start by saying that my territories are Southwest, sorry, South Central, Midwest and Southeast. So essentially, if you take the Dakotas and then you swipe all the way down to Florida, those are all of my territories. However, I do not live in any of those areas. Um, I am based in the Seattle area. So my day starts early. And this actually works out really well for me because I am an early riser. Like I'm usually up by five o'clock in the morning. So my day begins at 6.30. And I actually block off time about an hour from 6.30 to 7.30 in the morning for what I refer to as focus time. That's emails, that is catching up on the latest trends in education, that's you know doing the Twitter, the LinkedIn, the Facebook, just kind of figuring out what the landscape is for not only different accounts that I work for, but also what education is facing right now, right? And like I listen to podcasts sometimes, sometimes I'm reading like physical books, sometimes I'm reading articles. I block out time in the very beginning of the morning to just get my day right. Usually my meetings kick off at about 8 a.m. Pacific. 
So I've got that half hour where I'll take my dog out, right? I'll like do my steps around the house. You know, maybe I'll stretch a little bit, but I'm trying to prep for the meetings I'm about to have. And usually I'll be in meetings from about eight o'clock in the morning Pacific. So I want to say like 11 o'clock to 1130 in the morning Pacific. These meetings are typically strategic. So I'll be in plans and we're trying to maybe figure out what's going on with the school district and how we might be able to push into support. Maybe I'm doing planning for a webinar series with a whole group of people. Like for ISTE, I'm on the ISTE planning team and we do go through a lot of different things to make sure that our, like all of our events are set up, number one but also that we're making sure that we're putting these events on in a way that appeals to our educators. So all of those meetings typically happen within the course of like three, three and a half hours. Then I specifically block out time in my calendar for lunch just to take a break because a big transition for me was going from a workplace where I was like, everybody needs to be in the building all the time always. And I'm not like that, but my leadership was. And now my whole team is remote. Right. So I find dedicated time to step away and step out from the computer. Then I return. And then because my day begins around 630, I usually end around 233 o'clock. And the remainder of my day is like the documents, the minutia, the follow up, like my individual planning from that. And then I'll usually end with just touching up emails and touching base with people. Um, now, that's if I'm physically like in my house working. I recently returned like literally a couple of days ago from a customer meeting in Tampa, Florida. So that was actually uh, one of my first or actually my very first in-person meeting, you know, with like a school district cabinet meeting. And those days look completely different. So, you know, we all wake up, we all get breakfast together. We'll all go to a Microsoft office and we'll do work there for about three hours, you know, just touching up our presentation, going over talking points, seeing what's going on there. We'll all typically drive over or go over together. We'll give the presentation. We'll stay there for a little bit, answer questions. Then depending on the time, we'll go out for lunch or dinner. Um, and then I always stay in my location because I will typically have a six hour flight back. So I will like either meet up with a friend for dinner if they're in the area or I'll just do dinner by myself and then pass out because <laughs> uh, I'm usually so tired. Um, some people that live locally to the area, they will stay there. But my days where I'm customer or client facing, I'm, I'm just constantly on. You know, like I'm having those conversations, I'm doing that research, I'm editing slides, I'm giving presentations, I'm talking to people. And then by the end of it, I mean, I'm, I'm so energized, but I'm also like, man, I've been up for like 27 hours. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, so then I just fall asleep <laughs> afterwards. But yeah, that's kind of what my day to day looks like um, in two separate things. And to your point, you know, I, I do see a lot of folks leaving big tech to go into roles where it's different. And I will say this is probably the hardest I've ever worked, but the best work life balance I think I've ever had. You know, like my manager and, and my team, period, they're so big on balance. They're so big on, hey, you don't have to take this on because this isn't your job. You know, they're so big on if you need a day, take a day. I didn't even because I'm going to Disneyland at the end of next month. At, at my last job, my leave could get denied if they wanted me at work. They're like, oh, no, well, we just want you here. So we're actually going to deny your leave, even though like you got your plane tickets. And I'm like, well, I'm going anyway. So forget this. Um, but at, at my current role, I remember asking my manager because I was um, going to a wedding in Raleigh, North Carolina. My friends were getting married at 5 p.m. on a Sunday in Raleigh, which is on the other side of the country. So I was like, OK, I'm obviously going to be there. But if I'm flying back, it's going to kind of disrupt my workflow and all of my customers are on that side of the country anyway. So I'll, so can I just work out of the East Coast for a week? And my manager literally looked at me and she said, Victoria, why are you even asking me this? She's like, if you want to work from wherever you want to work, that's okay. She's like, you can work from Disney World if you want to. So you know what I did? I went to Disney World. <laughs> I was already on the East Coast. So Courtney and I, we went to, and for those of you who are listening and you're not familiar with me, Courtney's my wife. We went to Disney. You know, we went to the parks early, early in the morning because my meetings didn't start until 11 o'clock in the afternoon Eastern. I was back in the hotel by 1030. I did my meetings. And then in the evening, we went to the theme parks. Like just such a great way to recharge, right? And such a great way for me to just have that balance where I was not in a rush to get back to the West Coast because I didn't have to. Whereas in other roles, especially in tech, like, and again, for those of y'all listening, I've been in tech for three years at this point. This is the first time I've had this kind of flexibility. 
because every other role I've been in is okay. If excuse me, like if a client needs something at, at at midnight, you're there at midnight. Like there were times where I'm working with the offsite team in different roles, right? This was about three years ago, and we ended up having our community call at 10:30 p.m. Pacific. When we had people that were on the East Coast, we had but but we had to service like a team that was on a different country. So it was it was a legitimate expectation for me to be on a call at 10 o'clock, 10:30 at night on a Sunday when I had to drive up an hour and a half to be at work on Monday. That's criminal, but that's the way that some of these positions work. So. And, and we talked about this before we both hopped on, but you, you can't just take anything that comes your way. You have to see if this is a position that's gonna work for you. And the number one thing that I was interested in when I was job searching was not necessarily remote work, but flexible work. You know, in previous lives, I've been in positions where I've got family emergencies and then I get questioned out the wazoo because they're wondering why I'm not at work. If I say family emergency, I need to step away nobody should be contacting me. I'll come back in due time. You know, the same way where like, if I'm trying to take vacation, it shouldn't be nitpicked as to when I take it, unless it's like a critical emergency where they need me. I wanted flexible work because if I need to go visit my parents out in New Jersey, I don't want to feel ashamed. You know, I can still take a call from New Jersey the same way I can take it from Seattle, the same way I can take it from Orlando. If a family member is sick, I need to know that my company is going to have my back with saying, hey, yes, take your day. So flexible work was number one for me. And I'm really glad that not only Microsoft is so supportive, but I'm on a team that it's like, it's no questions asked. You know, I, I don't like it when people are in my business, so I don't like to get into other people's business, but I love that I've got a team that trusts that we can do our work wherever we are. Mm. So to that point, when educators are thinking that they've put in their time in K through 12 and they're looking to go to tech, whether it's a startup or big tech, what sort of internal conversations mm -hmm. should they be having with themselves? Yes. Well, let me take a sip of my orange juice real quick, Dr. Will. So, so we started making our own um, orange juice at the house because we were just finding some of the stuff in the stores. Not only did orange juice take like a really big hike in price, but we're like, if we have oranges on our property, because we do have a couple, we're just going to try to see what we can do to figure it out. So th this is homemade and it's delightful. Love it. Okay, so when I think about the internal conversations that I had like when I was first leaving, three things came to mind. Thing number one was, how can I do my best work with this skill set? Because I feel very strongly, and, and especially as educators, I feel like we're all in this boat. We choose the profession because we want to make a difference and we want to make an impact. We don't just want to show up and exist. We want to show up and contribute and make a difference. I was really looking for jobs where I knew I could not, not only scale and make that difference, but make a difference in a different way. So when I left the classroom, and this was when I was teaching fifth and sixth grade math and science in South Carolina, because then we moved to the Seattle area, I no longer had a classroom or multiple classrooms rather of 30 kids. Now I was working with six very large school districts all across the country because I was on the worldwide team for their marketing um, for quite a few things. And you know, it was one of those classic deals where they were marketing to educators and nobody on the team was an educator. So, so, so I was kind of like the subject matter expert in that role, um, but that was how I brought value. And it just breathed life into something that I didn't even think was possible. You know, like having subject matter expertise on a team, I, I, I loved it so much. And essentially like my job really is like a professional subject matter expert, you know, within the education team. I'm now breathing life into more than 15 states. You know, I'm now breathing life into more than like six accounts. I'm, I'm just having so much fun. So I think, how can I scale and how can I add value? For number two, for me, I really think about the financial. And I know you and I are very much on the same wavelength with this. I'm not going to take a position if I'm going to be making just as much, if not less, and um, I made that mistake the first time. Uh, not that 60K is small potatoes, but you know, starting salary for teachers was 58. And I would have gotten 
summer break, fall break, right? Like winter break, my day and my contract would have began at 7.15, you know, and, and would have ended at 2.30 versus all the chaotic hours I was working in the tech field. So I always advise people to really think critically about the position that you might be entering and also what those hours might be. Because when you leave education, we're depending on the state. Cause you know, I started teaching in a red state where we, we had no union, we had no contract. If you had to stay till six, you, you, you stayed till six and there was no collective bargaining. You know, you didn't get extra. Then I taught and, and also built up that curriculum in Washington for a little bit. And it was very rigid. You know, we, we got in at 7.15 and then we ended at, you know, like 2.30 and, and that was the day. And if we stayed extra, we got paid for it and, and all this extra stuff. But anyway, all this to say, just really look at the position that's being offered and think about that shift from going classroom where you have the breaks, where you also have strict schedules, where the kids get in at a certain time and leave at a certain time to where for some of these clients, especially if you're working inter-time zonal, you, you just have to constantly be on. That was something I was not prepared for. I was not prepared for 10.30 p.m. calls when I was waking up at 5.30 the very next morning to drive an hour and a half up to work, right? Um, and then the last thing I always advise, especially educators transitioning into technology or a different field, is you, you are interviewing them just as much as they are interviewing you. Be choosy. There is no reason to just pick the first thing that comes along. And yes, it might look shiny and flashy, but make sure that you read through the job description, get a very clear idea as to what you're doing. Ask questions. And I actually posted on Twitter about this the other day, because I recently just left a company where it was a smaller company and I was going to write a review on Glassdoor because I, for the most part, had a very positive experience there. But out of like the 50 people that are working there, there were only three Glassdoor reviews mm -hmm. and all of them were positive. So that kind of made me think, because I've also been in this position where if it's a smaller company, some people don't want to write a review of the company because it becomes blatantly obvious as to who read it, right? Or who wrote it, and then they don't want to target on their back. So for smaller companies in particular, things might look good on the reviews, but I always advise people, you know, just reach out, ask questions, you know, try to see exactly who's working there, who's still there. Why did the person before you leave that position? You know, these are all fair game questions to ask in an interview. You don't have to be so desperate to leave the classroom and, and jump into tech. As you and I spoke about before this interview started, you could be an instructional coach. You know, you could be a STEM coach like how I was. You could be an instructional technologist like how you are. You could go district office. You could be admin. You know, there's a lot of different ways you can take things that are out of the classroom that's not necessarily jumping ship completely. And my last bonus thing, I know I said three, but I'm really gonna do four, is it's so hard right now to career pivot. I've got a friend who's a recruiter, not even in the education field, and she'll deny it to everybody who says it, um, but it's like crazy right now. I remember she was telling me that for one position, she received over 550 applications. 325 of those were for educate, were from educators. And she's just wringing her hands, you know, her and her team, because there's no way that they are going to be able to interview 550 people, right? There's just no way. And then when you take a look at qualifications, it's hard to narrow down who might be good just kind of based on what's on paper. So I find that a lot of people are getting discouraged right now because the rhetoric surrounding the pandemic was, Tons of people are hiring, right? Like everyone's quitting their jobs and millions of companies are working from home. And we know by now that the patience for that is gone, right? Y'all are saying millions of companies are working from home. Show me what those companies look like. Y'all are saying companies are hiring educators in droves. Show me what those companies are. Because I've been in rooms, thankfully not at Microsoft or any jobs I've had prior, um, but I have been in rooms just to kind of like do consulting and whatnot where they will literally say, well, like she's just a teacher. Doesn't she just give kids lollipops all day? Doesn't she just read to kids and play with kids all day? These are things that recruiters say with their whole chest, right? So, wow. so, so, so we have to be cognizant of people are really not aware of the skill set that we bring in. And when we're applying for jobs, I feel like that shows. And every day I see, just got my 10th rejection, you know, just got my 15th rejection. It's, it's heartbreaking, but 
My dad has a saying that I love, which is you need to learn to love the sound of your feet walking away from things that are not meant for you, Mm. you know, and sometimes a rejection is a blessing. Every rejection you get or every, you know, conversation you have gets you closer to where you want to be. So use that to drive who you are and also what you want to do instead of thinking of it as, oh, well, I didn't get it. Well, as a Muslim, I will tell you that it is always a blessing. Mm-hmm. That rejection is just a redirection. Oh, I love that. I love to that. where you need to be, mm-hmm. right? So I want you bring that up when you are contacted by a recruiter, which I have been. Yeah. Um, and you have that initial conversation, and that maybe that conversation turns into that first interview. What should, what kind of questions should you be asking, right? Because you just mentioned you should be interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. And then what are some of the red flags to look for? Well, it's very funny that you bring that up, Dr. Will, because just the other day I had a conversation with a young woman uh, who was looking to career pivot. She was a young black woman. So, you know, I got to show up for my sisters and I always do my due diligence and say, hey, these are companies that you might want to stay away from or do some more research. And then these are some questions that you might want to ask. So I'm actually opening up the thread right now and I'm just going to run through everything I said. So these are my criteria. Number one is I always begin by looking at the job description and I scan for what I refer to as buzzwords or phrases that might raise red flags in my head. Now, remember, I come from education and I've been in tech for three years and I've also got that intersectionality with ed tech consulting. So Phrases that automatically ring my alarm are disrupt. Because I'm tired of people saying that. I'm like, what are you disrupting? You can't even tell me. Um, (laughs) Paradigm is another one. Like paradigm shift. Nobody has been able to tell me what that means. If somebody can, I'm all ears. But to me, it's just a bunch of baloney. Your duties may vary is a huge red flag for me because that means I'm not going to know what I'm doing day to day and that the role is not defined. And then family is also a big one for me. I've been in situations at work where they say that we're family, but family means, okay, well now you're gonna do all this over here and then we're gonna just let this person do nothing. (laughs) And like, that's family or, okay, well to keep, and and this is actually the reason why I left my last workplace. I don't talk about it all that much um, because I'm still kind of in that process of healing, but you are the first to know on a podcast that I was actually, excuse me, not let go, but I was denied a lateral position at my prior workplace because I am fully vaccinated. So to be in schools in Washington state, you do need to be fully vaccinated. I am because I enjoy being employed and paying my bills. And also my wife works in healthcare. You know, she's fully vaccinated as well. We want to stay healthy. Um, And regardless of anybody's opinions on vaccinations, I'm a big believer in if I want to stay employed, I follow the rules of my employer, right? If they say be fully vaccinated, I, I like paying my bills on time. I'm going to be fully vaccinated. I had a colleague that got the first shot, but didn't get the second shot, didn't even apply for the job, whereas I did. And the workplace said, well, we're giving the job to her and, and, and we're not giving it to you because we want to keep her in the family. So I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to start looking for other employment, right? Like the cost of keeping her means that now you are losing me. And to this day, they, they are so weird about it. They're like, oh, well, you know, you're like, we learned a lot from that situation. I'm like, I don't know what you learned, right? Cause you're still out here playing favorites with people. You know, you're still out here, you know like not even paying attention to what's in front of you. And up until that point, my experience was extremely positive but that was the pivot where internally one it's an equity issue when somebody applies for a job and somebody else is just given it, right? That is a straight up equity issue. And then the second thing is now you're telling me that you don't value me and my work. So that is why I decided to leave. And I also lost my train of thought. What was your question? (laughs) I'm sorry. Red flags, red flags. (laughs) Okay, red flags, yes. Okay, so family. So yes, I ended on family. Family was one of the words that they used. And one of the things that I actually pushed back on and thankfully they were very receptive was, Family does not always mean all diamonds and roses to people. Some people do not have positive experiences with their biological families. So when you say family, you have to be very careful about what you say and what you mean, because to some people, that's just not completely positive. So 
that's numero uno. Number two is what I already talked about, just vetting Glassdoor because some people don't want a target on their back. And there's also like a lot of falsified Glassdoor, what are they called? Not recommendations, postings, right? So like sometimes a CEO will write a bunch of Glassdoor, like positive glowing reviews, or sometimes in companies, I've also seen this where they're like, if you write a kind, like positive Google review, then we'll give you, or, or, or like, we'll put you into the running for a $50 gift card, right? So there's a lot of nonsense going on there. I always say the best thing that you have or the best ammunition that you have when you go into the interview is really just getting the vibe from the people that are there. So number three is on the topic of the recruiter call. I've had some really awesome recruiters. I've had some crappy recruiters. Like I've had ones like the one I had for the job that I have now, um, her name is Katie and she was phenomenal. Um, I've also had ones where they could not even tell me what the job description was. They literally were like, we're okay. So we're calling you for this job, but we're not sure, but you seem kind of cool. So we're going to pass you along. It's, it's infuriating, but at any rate, the recruiter is kind of that crucial first step, right? So I will usually not even ask questions specific to the job about, you know, with the recruiter. And the reason why I say this is because sometimes they just straight up don't know. Sometimes they don't come from industry. They're literally just tasked with figuring out what they want in a person. So I try to give very blanket questions about company culture, you know, uh, opportunities for growth, what the day-to-day might look like at the company at large instead of just my role. And then I always follow up with a thank you because, you know, thank you goes a long way, as you know. Um, And then I also think too about, you know, if you do go past the recruiter screening and when you're in the interview, you know, you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Questions I ask once I get past that recruiter screening and that round, there are three in particular So the first is what have been some barriers that you've encountered in your role and how do you solve them? I've been in positions where um, there are barriers, but there's no problem solving in place. Or maybe people just like throw their hands up and they freak out. So I want to know that when I'm working on a team that we are solution oriented. And even if we're not solution oriented in the beginning, my second question is if I need support, you know, where can I go to ask questions? Because I've been in what I refer to as trial by fire positions. Um, 100% do not recommend because I, it's so frustrating being in that space where resources and support are undefined, right? So if I don't know where to go, then I'm just kind of stuck. And I just kind of learned that along the way. I've always got to ask, if I need help, where do I go? And then my last one that I always ask is, how do you celebrate wins? And then how do you celebrate each other on your team? because I've done the tech work hard, play hard, which is code for, we're gonna work you until midnight, but hey, we have a happy hour every Friday at three and I'm not doing that. You know, I wanna make sure that we're celebrating each other on a regular basis. I want to make sure that we have a great work-life balance. And I also want to make sure that I'm being celebrated and supported. So those are kind of like my biggies. Other red flags I look for in particular and, um, I was going to tell you this before we hopped on so I can give you the full story after, but if companies say that they don't want to hire you, but they'd still like to work with you in a consultancy capacity, and then you take a look at their team and everybody looks exactly the same, that is a major red flag to me because you, everybody wants diverse voices until they want diverse voices. And, and, and that is something I really don't appreciate. I also don't like it when I look at job descriptions and there's, um, so, so what I refer to as gendered language, right? Like things like we're looking for like a bubbly personality with an attractive appearance. And, you know, obviously they're looking for a woman or at least that's what it reads to me. And usually when I see language like that, it kind of tips off to me that the company is entrenched in stereotypes and that's never good for anybody looking to kind of break the mold. So um, those are just kind of things I look for on a basic baseline level, but yeah. There are buzzwords you look for, check out Glassdoor, but make sure that you really look at it. Make sure that you ask questions in the recruiter call and in the interview, and then scan for things on the job description, as well as whenever you interview. Earlier, you mentioned being in a space where you've heard recruiters downplay the work that educators are doing or bring to the table. Yep. The typical educator generally 
they have their teaching license. They will have or administrator license. They've had varying varying years of experience. What research should they be doing in order to get the qualifications they need, and how can they leverage their experiences in K through twelve to actually stand out? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I had to take another sip of OJ. Um, so, I mean this in kind, and not necessarily towards you, but absolutely to every other to every other educator that is looking right now. Some of y'all's resumes need work. Like I do resume work and also help folks that are transitioning out. If they're serious, number one, my time is stretched and my patience is thin. So if you contact me, hey, I want to know how you made the transition over to da 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 da, and like I need to know, blah blah, and like that's where the conversation begins and ends. I know that they're not serious. I know that they're just trying to pick my brain. I need folks to come with concrete questions as to what it looks like to transition and transfer. And when I talk to some people, sometimes they don't have those questions ready. And you know what? That's okay. But what that means is you need to do more research into what you want to do and exactly what you want to do for work. Leaving the classroom by any means and all means possible is not the end game, right? Because you're just going to be as miserable if you leave and if you're in a position that you don't care for. So what you need to do is you need to figure out what you want to accomplish and also how you think you can scale and make impact. That's number one. That's pre-resume conversation. Um, If we have the resume conversation, I look at some of these resumes and I'm like, oh my gosh, right? It's like taught lessons, right? Like created lessons, taught students, worked at school. And I'm like, oh my God, like, like, you know, it's hard crafting a resume, but it's not scalable. I don't know what you taught, right? I don't know how many lessons you taught. I don't know how many kids you taught. I don't even know what school you taught in. And I'm even looking at my resume right now. I just pulled it up. So if I go all the way back to like my very first job as an educator, right? So instead of taught lessons, my very first bullet says designed and delivered curriculum and instructional materials consistent with STEM and technology integration in K through 12 environments and professional environments for over 100 students each year. That's scalable. Right. If, if a recruiter looks at my resume and they're like, oh, OK, OK, she was a teacher. Oh, over 100 students a year. Right. Then I go to my coaching experience, delivered over 100 hours of district wide professional development on data and adult learning priorities. Right. Facilitated partnerships with collaborative education partners, instructed and supported 38 teachers in their implementation of STEM project based learning at the redacted location in Washington. Right. So these things are scalable. If I look at your resume and I see absolutely nothing, and and you know me, I'm real. I say it with kindness, but I also say, girl, I don't know what you did. Or like, listen, man, I don't know what's happening right now. Because if I don't understand it and I come from industry, imagine what that looks like if a recruiter that has no experience looks at your resume. They don't know what taught lessons means. They also don't know what, uh, you know, created lessons or, or worked with students means. You have to be so granular in the way that you present yourself and you have to do it in a way that shows that you bring value to that space. One of the most painful um, moments I think I've ever had was, you know, kind of coaching a teacher and then like she was interviewing somewhere else. But then coincidentally that day I was in a, like another panel for a group of folks. And I mean, very nice person, but every answer was, you know, well, I'm a teacher. I've got this. I'm a teacher. I got this. And I'm like, okay, I, I know you've got this. I know we work hard. I want to know how your skills transfer over. And I think that's where a lot of educators honestly get stuck. They, they know that they do a lot in their classrooms, but they have no idea how to show how that brings value to any other space. And the ones I found most successful transitioning out are able to very clearly articulate how that value is brought. Right. So if I'm taking a look again at my resume, instructed and supported 38 teachers in their words in their implementation of STEM project based learning at the redacted location in Washington. Right. So if I'm instructing and supporting 38 teachers, this could be a learning consultant position. 
You know, this could be something where I'm giving professional development at large. This could be sales if I wanted to, you know, kind of morph it into sales. If I look at my consulting, so I'll scroll down to my consulting, provided high quality professional learning experiences for educators to support. So, so, so this was when I was at NCCE, great organization, by the way. Um, so Microsoft Office 365, including Word, PowerPoint, OneNote, Forms, Teams, Planner. So this means that I'm proficient in Microsoft, which is part of the reason why I have the job that I have at Microsoft today, right? So I'm giving clear cut ways to show these are platforms that I use. These are the people that I taught or the things that I taught. And then this is how I scaled and brought value. So I'm, I'm not seeing enough of that. I'm seeing just classroom experience on a resume and that's, that's not going to cut it. It's, it's not 2015 anymore. Passive knowledge of a LMS or a platform is, is not going to get you to where you need to be. And also I look back at my consulting and then also different things I've done with training partners. That's a like little known, but also like well-kept secret where it is statistically unlikely, right? For you to jump from classroom to a large tech company without having some sort of intimate experience you know, with a district or another company or like writing blogs or articles or anything of the sort. So if I look at a resume and and because I've had this happen multiple times, I actually just had a very strong conversation with somebody who was a very close friend of mine where she's like, well, I use Google Classroom. Can you get me a job at Google? I was like, girl, first of all, I work at Microsoft. And then second, just because you use Google Classroom, it does <laughs> not mean, you know, that you're going to be able to work at Google. So I put her in, because she wasn't, she wasn't even Google certified, right? She doesn't have like the training certifications or anything. So I told her, start there, right? I am supportive of you every single step of the way, but I'm telling you that, that, that they're going to get your resume and they're not going to know what's happening. So mm -hmm. you've got to at least show that you've got some interest in the product, the platform, the whatever, um, and then you can go from there. I hear you. And that's one of the reasons why well, I got the Google one. And here's the deal. I had no interest in getting Google certified because Google don't write me a check, but there see that, that. Okay. So real quick. Yeah. For educators that are listening, because Dr. Will and I know be real careful because some of these little micro credentialing certifications, right. Be really careful about the uh, communities that you join because some of them, it's just a check box and you're done. Like, Oh, I got my certification. I'm good. Some of them are actual communities where you can continue to grow and thrive. And again, shameless plug, because this is my community, and but I've also been a part of the community for years. I think Microsoft does this very well. I also think that Apple does this really well with their scaling. Uh, Microsoft by far has been the best community I think I've been a part of, but National Geographic is also phenomenal with this. And that's also a free teacher certification. So Sometimes they just want you to have it in your email inbox or they want you to have it in your little signature, but just be cautious because they don't write your checks, right? Yeah, so yeah. don't be out here doing free work for companies when, when they're not offering you anything. I'm not going to do it, but my right. boss came to me saying that our district is looking to get a certain percentage of our teachers Google certified. Mm -hmm. And since I am the one who is working with teachers on these uh, products, I was like, well, I can't train them on becoming a Google certified uh, teacher. I cannot, uh, well, educator now, I cannot talk to them about this process if I don't have it myself. So I took the test. And mm -hmm. when I passed, I said, okay, not only did that give me that qualification to go back to teachers and to my boss to say, okay, I got this thing. But having taken the test, having the experience of taking the test, I know what is on the test. So that when I am actually preparing teachers to take it, I know I have a reference point to go for. So, but in those things, and we're talking about, about what educators should be doing, here is where the difference of sort of tech corporate world K through 12 education differs because when you're a school district, you get a teacher's application. You see that they've been working at this school for so many years. They've been teaching at this mm -hmm. school for so many years. You have their licensure, what they can teach. And you may or may not look at their resume, 
But even if you look at a resume, you say, oh, well, they've taught, you know, uh, fifth grade for eight years and they and they did ELA, blah, blah, blah. As a school district, you can look at that and see, OK, this person at least has experiences that we can find to just bring into an interview to have a conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. Because in our field, that resume that in big tech may look like garble, garble, garble. Mm-hmm. It makes sense in K through 12 to a certain extent, and particularly if you are a seasoned HR person or a seasoned uh, administrator who you can look at it and see between the lines, at least be able to say, let's bring this person in because this is what I am seeing. Now, to those educators, and this is where the investment comes in. When you're an educator, you're thinking, I want to do X, Y, and Z. You now have to go either find someone like you who is going to volunteer their time or you're going to have to go see a professional resume writer Mm -hmm. who has experience and you're going to have to pay them some money right now sometimes sometimes these people have a programs where you may pay two hundred dollars two hundred fifty dollars to get that rewrite but some of them out there 250 ain't cutting it right Thank you, Victoria, for coming on this uh, podcast. And this is, of course, is going to be a two-parter. Parter. So I thank you for uh, coming on the show. So people, you know how I do this. This episode is going to be on pop, be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Audible. I need you to subscribe and share with your network. And though I'm on all major podcast platforms, I need you to get to Apple Podcast, listen to the episode, share it, leave your stars, leave your comments, because your boy is trying to be found and he's trying to get Oprah on the show. So I need you to show her how we're doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank you for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university of entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you, EDU, peace.